You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And this week we are talking about episode four of season two of Orphan Black, Govern... Govern as it were by chance. Thank you, Chris. And again, this is spoiler-free in regards to the rest of the season. And by what I mean by spoiler-free, I realized I should maybe clarify better. We're going to spoil this episode, because it's a discussion of this episode. But we don't know anything that has happened past this episode. And I don't even know what's in the promo. Because, well, I know one thing, because Chris told me. Accidentally. <laughs> Accidentally. <laughs> Stephanie hates it when I do that. I do. But I do, I do it fairly rarely. It's true. You're very good at it. But anyway, so yes, we're not talking about anything past Gover Does It Word by Chance. And this title, again, is from Francis Bacon's The New Organon. And last week, the the title came from... It, it, both of these titles are actually from a section of The New Organon where Bacon is talking about the four classes of idols. He says there are four classes of idols which beset men's minds. And so the first... Last week it was about idols of the tribe, which have their foundation in human nature, Bacon says. This week is from a section called the Idols of the Cave, and he says the Idols of the Cave are the idols of the individual man. So the sentence that the title comes out of, the full sentence is, So that the spirit of man, according as it is meted out to different individuals, is in fact a thing variable and full of perturbation, and governed as it were by chance. I'm not entirely sure what to make of this quote in regards to this episode, but I'm going to think on it for the rest of the week, probably. <laughs> Setting aside the rest of the sentence, just governed as it were by chance, it's all about stuff being up in the air. And I'm trying to phrase, trying to think how to phrase it without just repeating governed by chance. And I can't. <laughs> but it's up to chance. Like I can see how it, it can definitely apply to to the clone project in general, just this idea that while these women are sort of made from the same material, how they turn out, the the spirit of man, as the sentence kind of says, is governed by chance. Right. I think a lot of the stuff that happens in the series, and really all television, let's be honest, can kind of fall under this category of being governed by chance. You know, stuff stuff happens by coincidence, and I'm air quoting coincidence all the time. So what if Cal had driven a little bit slower and hadn't gotten there in time to smash into their car. You know, what if Daniel Rosen had woken up earlier? <laughs> Stuff like that. So speaking of the car crash, we we were right last week. It was the most obvious answer. This show has a second guessing ourselves. <laughs> yeah, Stephanie seemed a little, I don't know, confused that it was the obvious answer. But then I had to point out that the fact that we spent all week second-guessing ourselves because it was the obvious answer means that the show won anyway. It did. It did. And I don't understand why Daniel Rosen didn't die. Because he's a Terminator. Or a Cylon. Actually, Cylons are not admissible. That actor did play a Cylon. Somebody reminded us this week on Twitter, or reminded me last week, this week on Twitter, that that actor was one of the Cylons on Battlestar Galactica. I think he was number five, model five. I think Annie had mentioned it. And, okay, it might have been our, our other co-host from our other podcast, Drinks of the Doll, who mentioned it. And I knew I recognized the actor, but I'd forgotten he was from BSG. It's been a while since I've watched it, so. But anyway, back to, back, back to Orphan Black. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so we see Sarah and Cal really joining forces this week. We got a little better, a little more exposure to Cal. What are you, what are you thinking? Can we trust him? I'm not sure. Okay. I'd like to think so, but the fact that he seemed fairly insistent on Sarah telling him what the name of the company was that was after her, he seemed fairly insistent on a couple of things, like trying to get information out of her, which just makes me suspicious on this show. And it made me suspicious that he wouldn't just tell her where Kira was in the beginning. I, know. I was worried about that too, although he took her to her, so I, I, I think the paranoia there was not needed, <laughs> though justifiable still. Yes. This show, you guys. I, I know, I know. I'm realizing, like, I want to trust the majority of the characters on this show, but in actuality, I trust very, very few of them. Maybe three. <laughs> right. It's pretty much the, the core clones, right? And Felix. And Felix, yes. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I should clarify, I trust the clones. I don't necessarily trust their judgment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
this is true. So, you know, we see this relationship fostering between Sarah and Cal so much so that he, she's willing to like trust him with Kira and leave her, leave Kira with him for a while. That also made me really nervous. I was like, really, Sarah? Really? That is a pretty huge deal. Yes, but but it worked out okay, it seems like. I thought it was sweet when we got a little scene just between the two of them, and we saw that he was, like, playing guitar for her. I thought that was very sweet. It was. It is. And, and the fact that he, you know, did the little origami butterfly for so sweet. So, yes, I'd like to trust him. Do I know if I really can? No. No. Because no. it's the show. <laughs> But I looked up a little bit more about that actor whose name I've meant to look up how to pronounce and then I forgot. I think it's like Mikhail. Yeah, it's uh, Mikhail. But he's a Dutch Mikhail. actor, actually. He's from he's from the Netherlands. And so I, maybe he's improved his American accent over the years. Maybe he has less of a Dutch accent now, but apparently he's a big accent faker as well because Dutch was his native language. <laughs> so there's another accent faker on the show. Well, he was on... Uh... Nashville, yeah. or is this season or something? I don't know. Yeah, he has. He's both on Game of Thrones and right. and on Nashville, and apparently was was or maybe still is in a band, so he can play the guitar and sing. Yeah, Jordan Gavaris tweeted earlier this evening. We're recording this the evening of the episode airing. Jordan was live tweeting the episode. He said that off camera or, or in between takes or something, he and Mikel were playing guitar together. They were like jamming in their off hours. See, we want to like this guy. He seems nice. (laughs) (sighs) This show is stressful, Stephanie. (laughs) This show is so stressful. So Sarah, probably because, you know, she's Sarah, decides that it's a good idea to go back to Toronto. And, well, the the side trip to Mrs. S's house wasn't terrible. I mean, that wasn't the worst idea. I think we were were nervous about that, too, but it turned out without... Real cause to be. Yes. Although things did end up pretty bad, but that was not a result, necessarily. Not a direct result of deciding to go check on Mrs. S. Yeah. And we see them going through Mrs. S's stuff, Felix and and Sarah, and they find some newspaper clippings behind- Which we'd seen- Right. We'd seen the newspaper clippings in Mrs. S's scrapbook, but behind that picture of Carlton was another newspaper clipping, and it turns out it was about- Rachel's parents, it would seem, or adopted parents, who I think are the people in the picture. Right. So it's very strongly suggested that that's who is in the photograph. And we had gotten an email from Colby, who is a dude, we'll see, we should say. Sorry, Colby. <laughs> Sorry, Colby. What we used incorrect gender pronouns last episode. We need a gender neutral pronoun in English that isn't plural, guys. We need, yeah. Anyway. And. He mentioned that he he had really come to the conclusion that it wasn't Mrs. S in the fold photo, and I was always skeptical. I was I think when we brought it up the first time, it's like, are we we're supposed to think that right? But it seemed unlikely to me that that would be Mrs. S. Right. I think we were. I mean, obviously, we were supposed to wonder if it was, but yeah, it's it's a little bit of a relief that it's not her, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so not directly related to the project, maybe, but certainly knew a whole lot more than she was letting on to Sarah all those years. Or us, the audience. That too. And I think we see in the interaction between Sarah and Felix at Mrs. S's house that Felix is still clearly still hurt and annoyed at Sarah, but he's Felix. So when Sarah calls and says, I need your help, he comes because he's Felix. Yes. Oh, Felix... Who knows Krav Maga, or at least says he does. <laughs> that was that was pretty funny. It reminded me of when, in the first season, when Sarah comes into his house and he thinks it's Vic, and he says, you know, Vic, I have a knife and I will stab you in the face. It was a very similar kind of callback moment to there, I thought. Yes. <laughs> but then, you know, so the breaking into Mrs. S's house, maybe not the best idea, but it went okay. But then the terrible idea of breaking into Rachel's hotel suite. Apartment. Okay, apartment. Sorry. Right? I was unclear. They made it sound like it was a hotel to me. But maybe it is a hotel, but that's her permanent address. I don't know. But, okay. so I her- think they said executive suites or something, okay. so I don't know. She broke into where Rachel lives. We'll say that. And, yeah, that was just a bad idea. Sarah, I'm sorry. That was a terrible idea. 
It's it's not unlike her idea to sneak into Dyad, except the thing about sneaking into Dyad, she had the whole cover of the party, mm-hmm. so there were lots of people wandering around. So you can sort of disappear in a crowd. There's no crowd <laughs> at Rachel's place. And there was minimalist furniture. <laughs> that never goes well, you guys. <laughs> As Felix will tell you. But we did, you know, we got a little bit of, of information on Rachel through the videos that we see her watching with Kasima spinning out her theories of what Rachel's childhood was like on the phone. And I, and I feel like probably a lot of us were thinking maybe that's what Rachel's childhood was like if she was supposed to be kind of the control clone for the social experiment. Right. I think Kasima was making a logical assumption, which I think is why a lot of us were wondering if that's if that was going to be the case. But it's sort of interesting. The The videos don't show that at all. They show that her adopted, presumably scientist parents actually were very caring, it seemed like. That was a happy kid in those videos. What happened? Well, they died. Her parents died. No, I know. I'm- so, you know, which is, which is, you know, new information to have about Rachel. And that is a huge blow to a young child. And who took over her care from there? If she was supposed to be the control clone, was it that her first parents were caring and then she got new foster parents or adoptive parents who were more invested in the experiment and, so now I'm, I'm very intrigued about Rachel. That actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, I had thought about it a little bit, but thinking about it now, it would make sense to me that the original assigned parents, the Duncans, apparently, that they were, they were given the task of raising the clone child, the pro-clone child, perhaps because they were married and wanted kids or something, right? I mean, that makes sense. It's like, oh, you want a kid and we need a kid here. <laughs> Let's do this this way. And yeah, since Rachel was critical to the the Dyad Institute, and if her parents had been killed, they would still need need control over Rachel, essentially. So maybe they did get some other scientists to fill in for the Duncans and, you know, maybe somebody who wasn't as inclined towards parenthood, let's say. Well, and now that we've seen how ruthless Daniel Rosen has been, I've also got in the back of my mind, was it really an accidental explosion? Or maybe were her parents supposed to raise her this ver- in this very controlled way, and they got too attached to her and were taken out? That also makes sense. So that would make a clone angry. <laughs> If if uh, it's possible, so yeah, I get, I, we're getting some really intriguing sort of snippets of of Rachel, and I and I'm getting to where I'd like to know more about her, which kind of makes me go, "Damn it, show!" Because <laughs> there's too many clones I care about already. <laughs> it did dawn on me, I think, just before the season started, that like I wonder because Tatiana Maslany had given in interviews the answer of who did you. Which clone do you like playing the most, or who do you find most interesting? Something like that. And she answered Rachel. And so this really sort of got me started thinking, because I think she said Rachel, and then something about how, you know, Rachel was really hard to pin down for her at first, and then until she got to, or hard to love, I think it was maybe what she said. Rachel was hard to love at the beginning, until she got to know and understand her better. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But because of that answer, I'd started thinking about it and started realizing that Rachel is in a lot of ways really similar to Helena position-wise because here's somebody who was raised for a very specific purpose. Yes, yeah. in a specific environment because with people who had specific ideas about her and what she's supposed to be and all this sort of thing. So and how that affected them and their personality and their mindset. So I really started thinking about that earlier, because, you know, the first season, Helena's terrifying until you gradually learn more about where she came from. And suddenly we all have huge amounts of sympathy for Helena, right? So I'm thinking they're going to pull the same thing with Oh, Rachel. I knew they were, because when I was like, darn it, you know, here's this other antagonist clone they brought on, and they're going to make me love her. I know they are. Darn it. <sighs> because so far, she's been pretty easy to dislike. Mm-hmm. Because clearly she... Because she's very cold and cut off and 
clearly just entrenched in this evil institution that are that is manipulating our clones, our our favorite clones. Ugh. Darn it, show. But speaking of <laughs> Helena, so like we said, breaking into Rachel's not a good idea, and it ends in badness when when the not dead, darn it, Daniel Rosen returns. The Terminator. The Terminator. <laughs> And starts to torture Sarah. Conveniently behind her ears so that no visible scar will have to be added and make it positive. <laughs> Wait, where was Beth's scar? Subsequent Beth's episodes. scar was behind her ear, wasn't it? You're right, yeah. It was kind of in her hair behind her ear. Mm. <laughs> I doubt Daniel Rosen did that. I'm not saying he did. I just think it's kind of interesting that mm. that's, you know, here Sarah took over Beth's life. And- yeah. Sim- similarly placed scar. I'm just saying. But thankfully, I guess, thankfully, it's so weird to be thankful that a clone we were worried was going to, like, harm Sarah last season. It's like, oh, thank God Helena showed up. But yeah, as soon as Daniel Rosen had the the razor mm-hmm. out and heard a sound behind him, I'm like, oh, he's going to be sorry he has a sharp object. Because <laughs> that is going to quickly be turned against him. Yeah, we pretty much all knew as he started walking down the hallway, like, oh, Helena is here to destroy him. Well, there was the scene earlier when they were at Mrs. S's house, and there was, like, the door moved, and so somebody was there, and we were all like, so that's, that's, that's Helena. Helena, right? That's Helena. So, yeah. But, man, I've never been so glad to see somebody so horribly, you know, murdered. <laughs> and I'm not a psychopath, I promise. <laughs> it was funny, though. We did get it. We got an email from Bob at the after last week's episode saying, My first reaction to this episode was wanting to see Daniel Rosen dead. So I was very happy to hear Stephanie say something similar. And hopefully he is dead now. And we really would like for him to be because we do not like that guy at all. I don't know how you come back from a <laughs> slash throat. I know, I know. He's dead, right? He's got to be dead unless he's a Terminator. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it, Joe. <laughs> but Helena's still there. And Helena, I think, still has a knife in her hand. So. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So we get that amazing, amazing moment between Sarah and Helena. Where my heart. I was like struggling to know who to like be with in that scene because Sarah is clearly sort of the heroine of the piece. We have lots of of heroines of of this show, but she's the main one, you know. She's really she's the anchor for the show. Right. And so like I wanted to be frightened for Sarah because I could get why. The last time she saw this woman, you know, she choked her with a chain and then she shot her. Right. I mean, as far as Sarah knew, Helena was dead. Mm -hmm. So the fact that the first time she's seeing Helena after thinking she was dead, Helena's wearing a, you know, she's wearing a wedding dress. A blood-soaked That's covered in blood and holding a dripping knife. Yeah. Because she just slashed a dude's throat. Yeah. I can understand why Sarah's terrified. I was terrified for Sarah in that moment, which was weird because I had just been really glad that Helena had shown up and saved Sarah. Right. So I was having this weird internal mental struggle this entire scene because, like you, it's it's one of those whose side are you on? Not that I'm necessarily trying to choose a side, but it's just this whole... It was like mental volleyball or mental tennis or something. Like, I just, I kind of couldn't find a place to land mentally because there's so much stuff going on in that relationship and it's so complicated and I'm getting really worked up about this in case you couldn't tell. (laughs) But yeah, because Sarah had killed Helena because Helena was sort of trying to kill Sarah, except not really because she loved Sarah. But can't only show that love through violence, apparently. Yes. And I mean, earlier in, in the episode before this, Helena had been telling Gracie that, you know, oh, no, I have a family. I have a twin and a niece. And no, so, she just says, I have a twin sister. Yeah, and then she says, and a niece. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah. Twice. She she says it in Ukrainian first and then follows it up with a niece. Oh. She translates herself. I missed that both times somehow. Wow. But, but, yeah. but yeah, so, you know, you have Sarah who's justifiably terrified, and you're like, okay, I understand why Sarah's terrified, but you know Helena's been through this horrible, horrible thing, and I still, even though she was covered in blood and just slashed a man's throat, could only see her as this very vulnerable figure. So I wanted to be like, no, Sarah, it's okay. So, you know, Helena needs your help here. <laughs> right, but then at this moment, because 
it's still so much in my mind that Sarah had tried to kill Helena that I'm still kind of a little wary of what Helena's going to do. Yeah. Just because she's still holding that bloody knife. I was the same way because I was like, oh no, it's okay, Sarah. Helena's like, you know, she's something bad's happened to her. She's kind of vulnerable. Oh yeah, she shot her. Oh crap. (laughs) This is a complicated family relationship. It is. And I have a lot of feelings about it, apparently. A lot of loud feelings about it. <laughs> but, you know, but it, it, it ends, the scene, at least this time, ends okay. It ends with this hug between these two women. And, first of all, wow, how did they do that? That was probably the best clone, co- one of the best, it, well, no, the best clone contact scene we've had to date. It was pretty amazing. It was it was pretty darn seamless, because you have a very high-resolution television. <laughs> <laughs> a large, high-resolution television, yes. <laughs> and, yeah, it was amazing. But it was just this weird, tender moment, and I just... I, my heart went out to both of them. Yes, although I'm... I'm now worried because Sarah had her hands tied through that entire scene. What's going to happen when Sarah's hands come untied? Because... I don't know how Sarah's going to react when she's free to do whatever she wants. So how did you interpret her crying, then, when when Helena hugged her? I, I Relief? So, terror? I'm so confused by that. I mean, in a good way. Because I think, if I had to guess, I'd say that that's sort of a reflection of everything that we were just talking about. I think it's complicated, even even the emotions that are prompting the crying. I think it's a lot of stuff involved. I, I think probably a lot of it is just that she's overwhelmed in that moment because of all the conflicting emotions involved, is my guess. Yeah. It, it, well, to me, it kind of felt like both of them had been through these harrowing experiences and that just didn't seem to end. And it was like they finally both got to a resting point. Mm-hmm. And it was this huge just sort of like, I need to like... Catharsis. Exactly. It was this very cathartic moment, it felt like. And yeah, it, I agree. And it was kind of this weird mirror to me to the Helena Kira hug. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in episode 109, because even though Helena is clearly, you know, not a child, she's very childlike. Right. Or is it 109 or 108? Hmm? Is it in episode 109? One, it's in 108. What part? The, the, the hug? Yeah, hug is 108. 108, sorry. So when, when Kira hugs her in 108, because, you know, Kira hugs Helena and Helena just starts crying. For I don't even know if that Helena really understands why, but it's like this first bit of kindness somebody mm-hmm. has shown her. Like, unconditional yeah. love. Yeah. Oh, Kira. But yeah, I, I think part of it, too, I, I at least what I was wondering was if Sarah was perhaps associating Helena with Kira in that moment, too. Because of the childlike innocence of Helena and what what was it that Helena says? I need your help. I think they took something from me. Yes, inside. that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, it hurts. It hurts even just hearing it repeated. Yeah, and and I must say, excellent bit of writing with the the guardian angel thing from Kira because I wasn't even thinking about it, and we've got Helena with her angel wings carved into her back, coming to save Sarah. Yeah, when Kira said that to Cal, I immediately thought Helena. But yeah, I wasn't even necessarily thinking of, of the wings. But yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. This show, man. <laughs> so we got, continuing on talking about Helena's storyline, we got a very concerned couple of voicemails from Sally about Helena. and They sounded like me, right? <laughs> a little bit? Yeah. And, and Sally is, she's been a guest on our, on our show a couple of times now, both in our clone science episode and in our season two speculation. So thank you, Sally, for leaving us these voice messages. Hi, Chris and Stephanie. It's your friend, Sally. I was listening to your podcast about episode three and I had to pause after you, after you guys finished talking, um, in the beginning about Helena because, I also was really upset by the hand fasting and what was implied about what was coming in the next scene. But stepping outside of the story for a minute, I have a hard time believing that this show, even though it's dark, is going to actually write in a rape scene or an implied rape scene or have that be part of the storyline. Helena is such a 
childlike and kind of vulnerable character that that would be all kinds of wrong for many reasons. And so here's hoping it doesn't happen. Uh, if it does, I'm going to have a problem. So the other thing about Helena is that she really reminds me of the character River from Firefly. And um, they were both removed from their families or abducted at young ages, and they were brainwashed and brought up with other people and trained to be killers. And uh, they also both have difficulty relating to other people because of that. And they both appear childlike and vulnerable in spite of their um, killer tendencies. The thing that I like about this comparison is that if you saw the movie Serenity, spoiler alert, if you didn't see it, I'm about to tell you part of the ending, so stop listening, Um, is that River, at the end of that movie, saves everybody by locking herself in a room with all of the crazy Reavers and kills them all, and then she emerges from it with all of their blood dripping from her knives and not a scratch on her. So I hope that there is a similar outcome for Helena with the Prolethians. That's all. Bye. So I have to admit, I probably should have probably should have started the episode with this. I was thought this episode would be way more stressful than it was because I was so worried about Helena. And the way that it played out was actually maybe the least creepy way it could have played out, though still way, way creepy. That scene was so upsetting. Yes. But yeah, granted, less upsetting that I kind of worried it was going to be. Yes. Because, yeah, like Sally and like you, I have been worried about this for a week. Like, really deeply, deeply worried. And it's still not good, obviously. But it's perhaps less objectionable in a visceral kind of way than it seemed like it was going to go. Right. Yeah, because I was totally thinking it was going to go... Uh, if not a sexual assault route, that they were actually going to use Helena basic as an incubator, basically, which those are terrible, terrible things, and this is still terrible, but of the three options, I guess the least terrible? Yeah. They still assaulted her. They yes. still assaulted her, and she was clearly drunk. They admitted in this episode she'd been given a sedative. Right, we were talking about last week. The, the shot of Henrik carrying, well, first of all, the, the hand fasting, and then followed by Henrik carrying Helena down the hallway. Clearly, Helena had been drugged. Or something. I mean, she was, she was out of it. She was way out of it. And they affirmed in this episode that she had been given a sedative. Yes. And wasn't going to tell her that they had taken her, her eggs, clearly. Ugh, these people, I hate them. <laughs> I just want to punch every single one of them in the face. <laughs> and and when, you know, the, the scene where Gracie smother, tries to smother Helena, and, you know, there's that pause, and then Helena uh, pops up from behind Gra- Gracie and starts strangling her, we all were like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, I literally, at the commercial break, went, oh, thank God. It's like, oh, good, somebody's getting strangled. <laughs> it's kind of twisted. Well, mostly it's like, okay, she didn't get Helena. Not that I thought that she had offed Helena, because because it's Hel- Helena. It's Helena. <laughs> like some amateur could smother her. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so during the episode, I'm all like, deserved it. <laughs> The whole time, Helena takes somebody deserved it. <laughs> we sound like terrible people. Oh my goodness, we are not violent people, but we care very deeply about our characters. Apparently. In case you couldn't tell, no, this is the thing I do during television shows. I don't know if you know this. If I'm watching something and somebody horrible has something horrible that happened to them, I just go deserved it. <laughs> I do it a lot. It's pretty weird. <laughs> But yeah, Gracie deserved it. She didn't kill her, just just made her unconscious, strangled her until she's passed out. Um, she co- so Chris probably would have said she deserved worse. <laughs> uh, uh. 
Maybe. But Daniel deserved it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But Sarah yes. should kick him while he's down on her way out of that apartment. <laughs> okay, so Kalena escaping the Perilithians was pretty great. It was. The sight of her running through that field past Art was, like, the greatest thing Yes. Um, when she popped up in Art's viewfinder, that was a fantastic shot, and I just loved the image of her running across the field. And, I mean, thank you, Art, for holding up the Prolethean guys for yeah. a bit, but why didn't you go after them, Art? I wanted him to go after them. Yeah, I don't know. Like, where is Art right now? We don't know, right? No. They that didn't was the last we saw of him. Yeah, they didn't come back to him. Maybe he's still photographing the Prolethians. Maybe he's, like, slowly following them in his car, taking pictures <laughs> as they chase after Helena. No? Maybe. No? Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, not a, lot of, not a lot from Art this week. No Angie, but we just see him keeping an eye on the farming Prolethians. <sighs> and why didn't you help Helena, Art? Come on. I don't know. Thinking about this further, I, I understand why he didn't go after her more when she ran past him. Because she doesn't trust him. Right. But, and, I mean, that could have gotten him hurt. Mm-hmm. That would have backfired, probably. Yeah. But I did like that scene where he, he kind of calls to her, and she sort of turns around and looks at him, sort of gives him a, a considering look, and then just keeps going. <laughs> I kind of wished he had said something, like, either said her name, because he knows her name. He doesn't necessarily know that that's Helena, but I feel like he maybe could have made a connection there. Or if he said something about, I know Sarah, maybe Helena might have trusted him a little and he mm-hmm. could have helped her more. But anyway. Yeah. It's okay, Art. I'm not really that mad at you. Because Helena made it out okay. But I was just like, Art, go after her. She clearly needs help. <laughs> yeah. I, again, it's it's more one of those, I'm glad he held up the Prolethean farmers, but I did wonder why he didn't follow them. Yeah. Of course, we didn't see much past that, so I don't know. Maybe he went and got his car and, as I say, slowly, slowly driving behind them. Taking pictures. So, Allison. Apparently, she fell off the stage and into rehab. (laughs) Only Allison (laughs) would find herself in that situation. (laughs) And apparently is stuck there. Until her 28 days or however long. A week is is what Felix said. Oh, that was his, like... Stay here a week, and then I'll get you out. But when Donnie comes to visit, says that she has to stay for the entire course of treatment. Mm, mm-hmm. That's or, right. Yeah. And he did not specify. Usually it's a 28-day period because your insurance company usually won't pay for more. But who knows? Well, it's Canada. so Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how to do things in Canada. Tell us, Canadians, if you know. <laughs> now I'm curious. But I, I don't know. How do you feel about Allison being in rehab? I think she probably needs it, quite frankly. Uh, I agree. She's been spiraling this season, especially given the Ainsley situation and how the play situation is compounding the Ainsley situation. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of glad that she's getting some help, maybe. The, the thing is, like, she definitely needs help for, for the substance abuse problems. However, what's causing her to spiral is all the stuff going on with the clone experiment. That's true. And the rehab can't address that. So, you know, I, I hope she gets dried out and maybe find some better coping mechanisms. I was going to say. So that she doesn't have to turn to booze and alcohol, but she's still got this this overhanging stress of, my husband's my monitor, and I'm being watched by a scientific organization that I was an illegal, and I'm part of this illegal experiment. I mean, that's that's outside of her rehab counselor's purview, I think. That is true, although I am going to go ahead and say that I think maybe the fact that she will get herself sober, because as far as we know, she never really fully got herself sober, right? Oh, no, Because no, no. her declaration of stopping drinking lasted, like, a day or less, right? Yeah. So, because we saw her drinking wine earlier that evening, because mm-hmm. that was how last season ended, was the night, the same night that she told Felix that she'd stopped drinking and taking pills and stuff, yeah. so... It might have been more than a day, because I think she was still not drinking at Ainsley's funeral at the beginning, and that probably was maybe a few days after okay. the, the premiere. That's fair. But, but yeah, she was not able to be sober for very long. And and so, yeah, again, I think it's good, she's sobering up, but there's still sort of 
bigger stuff going on. Right. Where I was going with that, though, was that oh. maybe she'll be able to, you know, think a little more clearly about these things. Right. Now that she's sobered up. Right. But, you know, I I, <laughs> I, I kind of love Allison's counselor, Yvonne. Yes. Yvonne <laughs> seems... Seems like she's going to be a, a good character. She's, she seems like a really good foil for Allison. I liked their exchange about the nasty. <laughs> <laughs> and Allison saying she doesn't think she's ever done it. <laughs> Which, you know, that's a perfect Allison response to that, I feel like. And then cut to that fantastic exchange between the counselor and Donnie, where the counselor mentions, you know, do you want me to search his orifices? And he sits down. <laughs> that really made me laugh. Donnie. <laughs> oh, Donnie. But I'm kind of like, I, I hope we see more of Alice and Donnie interaction, though, even though she's in rehab, because I'm, I really like seeing them. I really like their dynamic. I want to see more Allison and Donnie scenes. Hmm. I'm curious what's going to happen in rehab, because I feel like something or several somethings that are crazy is going to happen in rehab, because it's Allison. Because it's Allison. Allison can't not have crazy things happen to her. I also really loved Allison's horror at seeing a woman shave her shave her arms. Yes. Under her arms. That was like the most socially unacceptable thing Allison had ever seen. Well, her door was open, <laughs> Stephanie. <laughs> Maybe she has to have it open. Per, per rules. You know, I'm being Allison. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's Chris as Allison. Okay, okay. <laughs> and, and again, we get a love, we get a lovely scene between Allison and Felix with, with Felix trying to be sub- clone counselor. <laughs> uh, Cause they'll get mimosas and brunch. Or just brunch. <clears throat> it's a nice try, Felix. <laughs> Good attempt. But, but yeah, I thought he did a really nice job sort of convincing her to stay because he knows mm-hmm. that she needs help, but making it kind of seem like, oh, it's not about that. It's, it's getting you some rest and away from Donnie. A week at the spa. Yeah. I like, <laughs> yeah. Very intentional phrasing there, I think. <laughs> With the woman who shaves her armpits. But it was lovely, you know, I, th- I thought we got some, some nice Felix time this, this episode, and he, of course, had had quite a few bonmos as usual. I, I liked his his reference to Cosima and Delphine being in a transgressive lesbian geek spiral. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I, I want to be there. I think. <laughs> I just keep thinking, like, who even thinks to say that kind of thing? Felix, Felix. I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, what is that? <laughs> Yeah, what is that exactly? I'm not entirely sure. What does that entail? <laughs> yeah. But I really want to see him and Sarah, like, sort their stuff out, for real. Because they dug up some heavy stuff. And, like I, again, like I said last week, I could see where Sarah was coming from. But prioritizing Kira to the extent that she alienates Felix is not entire, is not very cool. And it's not cool that she lied to him for so many years. And they need to sort, sort some stuff out. They do. They really do. And I want more Felix, please. But we always want more Felix, yeah, right? I know. Pretty much always. Pretty much always. So Cosima. Not a lot, a whole lot of Cosima. I was going to say, speaking of people we want to see more of. Yes, we want to see more Cosima, please. Because she was back to Gilesing. Yes. Mostly. Yeah. And, like, I got it last season that we didn't see as much of her because she was in Minnesota and everybody else was in Toronto. But now she's in Toronto. I want to see more of her. But she's she's in Dyad. And in her transgressive lesbian geek spiral, apparently. (laughs) But speaking of that, where was Delphine? Delphine. (laughs) There was no lesbian geek spiral. We demand our lesbian geek spiral. (laughs) Maybe next week, Stephanie. Maybe next week. Now that's just starting to sound like a euphemism for something. (laughs) Was that not how you meant it? (laughs) It wasn't, in fact, for once. But we got more sad videos this week. And coughing. And Kasima coughing. Why? Why, show why? To torture us mm-hmm. is the short answer. Clearly, but from her from her Gilesing and her being being geek monkey, she brings up the 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 myth of Lita and the Swan as perhaps a namesake for Project Lita, which a lot of fans had already connected. So because 
Orphan Black fans are smart. Indeed. And then we see her looking up sort of information about, about Rachel's parents. So she's very much just sort of smart geeky clone this week. Smart geeky coughing, coughing clone. clone. Oh. Not that we want to talk about that. Because no, we don't. We don't. But it's, she's just allergic. Really bad allergies to something in that old lab. It's the mold. I see. Yes, I'm over here in the ball pit of denial. Stop looking at me that way. With pity, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm with you. I'm upset about it, too. But I, I think it's one of those things, starting with last episode, we're really getting more insight into what it is that's, you know, what the medical issue is with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw on Tumblr, somebody had diagnosed what it probably is, and now I don't remember off the top of my head what it is, because it's not a common thing, but... It's like follicular lymphoma or something. Ooh, follicular. I like that word. I think is what that is. Hmm. I can see that. It's pretty bad, though. The, uh, it's, I'm worried. And then we got Mrs. S this week. We were kind of wondering where she was last week after her very dramatic actions in episode two. And she's, you know... I, I'm guessing it's lucky for Benjamin that he checked out okay, because I don't think he would still be alive had he not. That was the implication, yes. Yep, yep. Mrs. S, once again, pretty terrifying. Pretty terrifying. She's kind of a badass. Mrs. S, international badass. I stand by it. I'd watch it. But she didn't have to go international, because she, she met up with, with Carlton in, locally and got her sexy on, I gotta say. And now we know where Sarah gets it from. Exactly. So that's where Sarah gets her... her Both the badassery and the... Technique for bonding with people? <laughs> <laughs> Physically? Physically bonding with people? <laughs> that too? <laughs> but uh, Mrs. S was looking good, I gotta say. She was, yes. It was uh, at the boots. I love, a, I, love a, I love the tall boots. Those were good. Didn't you make a crack about how she borrowed something from Delphine's wardrobe? Yes, I did. Really? Is that all you have to say about Delphine's wardrobe? I'm holding it in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I know I was in the minority opinion last week for not liking Delphine's green? Was it green? It was a non-color blouse and her black trousers and the, and the boots. And I know I was in the minority of an opinion on it, that. It was white. Or off-white. Was it white? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It looked greenish to me. It's, it's always a non-color. I think it was the, the coloring of the... Of the scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that outfit. I know it was in the minority, not liking it. So we had somebody on Twitter who contacted us saying, you know, they were so shocked I didn't like Delphine's outfit, they had to pause the episode. So I know I was in the minority, but I just didn't like it. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I thought it was fine. The outfit was fine. I have no strong feelings one way or the other. Because a lot of people Nobody just hurt loved me. it. Just thought that was like Delphine's best outfit ever. Well, I wouldn't go that far. And at all. Yeah, it just was not, besides it not being a style I care for, it just wasn't Delphine-y to me. It was kind of in, incongruous with her previous wardrobe. Delphine-y. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm going to find a way to work that into everyday conversation. So yes, when Mrs. S walked down the stairs and I saw what her outfit was, I did make a crack about how she borrowed it from Delphine, but on the good side of the closet. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, after talking about it for a week. People kept bringing it up on Twitter, Chris. <laughs> Couldn't just let it go. Nope. Like, you're so good about letting things go. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> Mrs. S meets up with Carlton. They get their sexy on. And apparently she's trying to dig into what Carlton knew of who he got Sarah from. And so I'm thinking we're going to see Carlton again, do you think? Or do you think that's it for him? I don't know. It's hard to tell at this point. Yeah. But he was the actor who played him, Roger Cross, is also on Continuum and another show. I want to say it's Motive I saw him on. Okay. And I gotta say, when I saw on on Facebook, Orphan Black posted a picture of Mrs. S having, like, drinks with, well, I was thinking Maria Doyle Kennedy and Roger Cross. And when I saw Roger Cross, I was like, oh no, Mrs. S, run! Because 
I conflated his character on, in Continuum onto the actor, and I realized I probably needed to step away from, <laughs> from Facebook for a while. But but yeah, she did the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was happy to see Roger Cross, though. I, I actually quite like even though Travis terrifies me on right. Continuum. Yeah. He's decent on motive, though. So I have no... No instinctive reactions to the sight of Roger Cross, as okay. they do. Yeah, because I just know him on as Travis, who, uh, granted, I've only seen m- pretty much the first season of Continuum. And it seems like whenever he has a scene on Continuum in the first season, he's either harming or killing somebody. So Yeah, pretty much. He's, yeah. he's not a nice man No, on Continuum. No, but he seemed like a like a decent guy on uh, Orphan Black. Carlton seems nice. We, we hope. We hope. We want to trust you. Because we want to trust everybody, but no, we often can't. We know better at this point. So how are you feeling this week? We've been pretty worried the past couple of weeks. I feel strangely better. I kind of do, too. Uh, as anybody who listened to our episode on 203 knows, I was mostly freaked out about Helena's situation and desperately wanted her to escape, preferably with injuries to her captors. We, we got minimal injuries to her captors, sadly, but... <laughs> I'm so glad that she's with Sarah, even though Sarah tried to kill her last time they met. <laughs> it's complicated. It's complicated. It's so complicated. And and like Sally mentioned, she was hoping for kind of a a river moment from Serenity for for Helena, and she kind of got one when a she bit. when she was walking down that hallway, dripping, you know, Dan, Daniel's blood dripping down her. So it wasn't from slaying multiple foes, but. Kind of a river moment. They even had the blood dripping off of her weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I am wearing my River Tam t-shirt while we are recording this she in is. honor of Sally's message. She is. She is. Plus, this is the third episode in a row without Paul. And we got a couple of nice emails from Dan. He says, looks like Helena may have forgiven Sarah for shooting her, given the way she spoke in the reunion scene. Speaking of which, that was a masterful bit of television that seemed to be much longer slash slower on first watch than it has been on rewatches. I think that's due to being sucked into the drama so completely by Tatiana's acting and the production overall. For usually being such a fierce character, it was fascinating to see Sarah in such desperation with Daniel, because her usual resourcefulness is severely limited here, and then seeing her in abject terror upon seeing who took out Daniel. And Helena did everything except lie on her back to show deference and submission to Sarah. I can't wait to see more of the Seastra's dynamic. And I agree with you, Dan. And Bob emailed us with an interesting point. I get the feeling that Gracie may be made to carry that child, which would explain her attempt to kill Helena. I've seen this comment from other people on the internet, and it's an interesting theory and makes a lot of sense. And even if that wasn't the original intent, now that Helena's gone, you know, who knows? So thanks for those emails, Dan and Bob. So we have a little a little business, I guess, to talk about at the end here. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. I just wanted to let listeners know that I'm in the process of switching our where our feed is hosted for the podcast from it's currently on FeedBurner and I'm switching it over to Libsyn. And so if everything goes correctly, your service should not be interrupted, as they as they might say. You should still get episodes fine. Etc. Etc. But if something does go wonky and you notice that some that an episode didn't download for you into your podcatcher, whether you use iTunes or Pocket Casts or Beyond Pod or something like that, go ahead and you might want to resubscribe to the podcast. You can do that over at TatianaIsEveryone.com/slash/subscribe. There's all the options for how you can subscribe to the podcast on that page. So again, if everything goes okay. It should be fine, but we know how sometimes technology does not quite behave as we expect. Much like this show. (laughs) And speaking of iTunes, we wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to all the lovely people who left us super nice iTunes reviews. Yes, thank you so much. They're so, so lovely. And I'm, I'm floored. By those lovely messages. Uh, yeah, I got a little, I must admit, a little choked up by, I was reading through the lovely reviews people had left us, and it was just so sweet. So thank you to everybody who left us a review, and they're all so kind, which is lovely as well. 
So thank you again to people who sent in feedback for this episode. We really appreciate all of the the emails and the the tweets and the feedback y'all are sending us. <laughs> Stephanie messaged me this week. Did we get any new emails? I yeah, I get excited when we get emails. I do too. So thank you for emailing us. And if you want to send us your feedback, actually what we would love and we realized we didn't maybe make this clear is that we would love it, actually, if you wanted to send us a voice message. We love getting voice messages like Sally sent with maybe your reaction to the episode, and we'd love to include your reactions in the podcast. Yes. So send us messages. You can click the tab that says send voicemail on the right side of our website, tatianaiseveryone.com. Please keep your messages under a minute and a half. Otherwise, you get cut off. That's not our rule, actually. <laughs> right. <laughs> and please try to keep it clean. Yeah. Because then I won't have to edit you. <laughs> I don't want anybody to feel like I'm cutting cutting out your message or anything. I, I don't want to do that if I don't have to. Right, because so. we, do, we do try to keep the swearing to the, to the minimum. But yeah, we would love if you would, would send us a short reaction to the episode in general. We would love to include those. So if you would please send those by Monday noon so that we can include them on the episode to be released Tuesday. That would be great. And here's a voicemail we got this week from Rebecca. This entire recording is really just going to be me and my intense Helena feelings, because how else do you put Helena feelings into words other than, you know, yeah, you know, just that whole final scene was so intense and awesome and creepy and beautiful in a strange orphan black kind of way you know with helena in the white and sarah in black and the night and day and light and dark and the whole yin yang kind of thing and it's just amazing and bad you know yeah um and then even with kira talking about um sarah's guardian angel and is she talking about the paper thing that Cal made, or is she talking about Helena, the angry angel? I don't even know, and that's awesome. And yeah, that just, bleh, feelings. Great episode. It's awesome. Thank you, Rebecca. You can send us a voice message. Other ways you can send us feedback, though. We love any feedback you want to send us. You can email us at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. This week, both Helena's Bloody Knife and the Transgressive Lesbian Geek Spiral were played by Tatiana Maslani. Thanks for listening. <laughs>